Good morning, beloved. So grateful that each of you are here, whether I can see your face or whether your face is a little more imaginary to me. We're glad that you have gathered with us this morning. We are going to start, you'll be shocked by this, with a prayer. God, you have given us this time in this place, and we trust that you are doing something that you who were here before we were here, that you have prepared this place and time and our own hearts that we might receive that which you have to teach us. We know that our own actions are necessary, but in so many ways so small compared to that which you do in us, you who hold all power. And we ask that we might be ready to hear your voice. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Different religious communities have used water as a method for cleansing before worship or other rituals for centuries. In the 100 years that came before Jesus' birth, we know that mikvahs became common in Jewish practice. A mikvah is just a pool for ritual cleansing and purity. And these pools are usually built into the ground uh, or lower in some way than sort of the walking space, and are considered, especially at that time, so crucial for Jewish worship that you would sell scrolls of teachings or sometimes even parts of your building in order to ensure that your community had a place to be purified. In Islam, before you pray, if necessary to wash first your face and then your arms and hands, then the back of your head and your neck, and then your feet. And in Islam, they pray five times a day. So there's this continual process of ritual cleaning with water. In the Baha'i faith, which most of you might not be familiar with, you have to wash your hands before you pray, and they recite this portion of a prayer that refers to God as the most pure, the most pure. And in Buddhism... As you enter a temple or a complex of temples, there's a small spigot of water over a stone basin usually, and you wash your hands before you enter. Water, as an exercise of metaphorical cleanliness, isn't new, and it's especially not new in religious spaces. And Christianity is no different. Having this water ritual, a cleansing by which one formally enters into Christian faith, which we call baptism. And to be very clear, we did not invent this practice as a new church community after Jesus' death. In fact, we see John in the earliest pages of our New Testament already baptizing people for the forgiveness of sins. John, a Jewish man, is doing what Jewish leaders at the time often did, washing people in water for forgiveness. And we know this in, in general, because Jesus participates in this practice. Jesus, a Jewish man, participating in what Jewish practice did, washing by water. Jesus is not baptized perhaps for sin like most of the rest of us, all of the rest of us, but perhaps as an act of submission to God and as a public statement of religious intent. So part of the reason that we collectively want to think about our spiritual rituals is so that we can understand where we stand in the scheme of things. And 
understanding why our practice might be unique. If all of these communities of faith to varying years and decades and centuries use washing as a part of their religious action, and if even the specific concept of full immersion of the body is an old idea by the time Jesus comes along, then what makes baptism different? What distinctiveness is there in Christian baptism if washing in water for cleansing is found in almost every religious community? Well, we're going to read our text today, and we're going to reflect on why baptism over any other kind of washing. We're reading from 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 21 and 22. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers made subject to him. So the text section right before this is a bit muddy, but in it, the writer of 1 Peter is talking about the flood in Noah's day, which is a central story to Jewish history and their own understanding of themselves. Uh, It tells of the washing of the whole earth in water because the people, it tells us, had become so violent and so against all which was in God's character that the only way to deal with it was a full cleansing. And through that water, cleansing of the earth, the writer says that God saved eight lives. And in the same way, the writer argues, baptism is salvation by God through water. The writer then goes on to clarify that baptism isn't intended to just be a good bath for eliminating dirt and germs so that God can receive you at your most sanitary state. Baptism is not a cleansing for practical physical purposes so that we don't bring germs into worship. Instead, baptism is salvation for each one. It is asking God that those who are baptized might receive a good conscience, the word tells us, both a comment about the idea of a cleansed soul and also this concept of a new spirit, a new mindset, a new framework that those who were baptized or not baptized before cannot create for themselves. Water by itself, not a very effective method of cleaning. It's better than nothing, certainly, but it can only address the very top layer of things. Without soap, it's kind of a lousy way to clean. So if we know that that's true, and we can see the writer making this point, if baptizing were just for the outside cleansing of the body, it would still be a pretty bad method to clean your body. Instead, baptism is for something much deeper that needs cleaning. The water itself doesn't hold the power. It is what is being said and what is being done in the act of baptism that matters. Baptism in Christian faith is not something that happens every year. It's not something that happens 
uh, on a three-month rotating basis. It doesn't happen every day in your life. It's also not a necessity in order to enter into a church building, to call on God's name, to question your own faith, to ask questions of the scripture. None of these require baptism to happen first. But rather, baptism is for a complete and total change of heart. That we might be made into different people. Something that is done with great intention. Not receiving this one-time wash like a coupon for our hearts at the local car wash. But to ask God to bring us completely under the power of Jesus. And we know this because of what he says next. He says, all of this, baptism, the request to God for a clean spirit, is done through Jesus's resurrection. To illustrate that point, he clarifies Jesus's power for us. He says, Jesus, who is God and man, resides in heaven with God in power. And all other things which seem to have power, like heavenly creatures and the angels, the human authorities and earthly powers, all of those are under God's feet. They are under Christ's control. There is this emphasis here, strong emphasis on Jesus's power, I think because many things will keep us from feeling saved and from being saved. Many things that will try to convince us that they are stronger than salvation. They have power over us. This might be your own fears of your unworthiness that keep you from being baptized. It might be your own fear of what you've done that keeps you from feeling saved. It might be the culture that demands a visible change of holiness before they can count you as someone who's truly been changed. Maybe a church social pressure demanding that we act or believe or vote a certain way before we can count as saved Christians. But that's not true according to the text. In fact, the writer here clarifies none of those other things can stand against the power that Christ holds because you have received a baptism. Not only is it God's work doing the saving of baptism, it is more than enough to save. It is also strong enough to change the hearts of we who submit to God, and it is strong enough to keep all those other things from having any power in our lives. As I was preparing for this sermon, I was reminded of the weight of this passage by an essay that I read by Reverend Amy Allen, who's a Lutheran minister in Nashville. And she emphasized that this passage in 1 Peter is using this intense, strong image of the Noah's flood to demonstrate Jesus's power and control. Just as God took over the whole of the earth in the flood waters, so also Jesus expresses control in our lives over all of those other powers through the flood waters of our baptism. It might be easy for us, I think, in our everyday normal practice to take baptism and this idea of spiritual cleansing lightly. After all, maybe it was water droplets or a too cold bath, and maybe you don't even remember it. 
too early before your life was really formed. We might think about it as this moment of washing, but the writer says it is a more intense than that. It is a reworking of us. It is a flood. This idea of destructive and powerful and sort of smoothing over power of this torrent of water. This water of baptism remakes us as a flood remakes the surface of any earth. It reworks our hearts and through it, we appeal to God for a change of spirit, a transformed conscience, a new heart, a new life freed from the sin and guilt we carry. Only a great power could do this thing and by Jesus's resurrection, this miracle occurs. So why baptism? It is because it is the power of Jesus' resurrection. It offers us a full cleansing of our hearts. It offers us the gift of the Holy Spirit, and it offers us the change of our own spirit that is needed to live as the people of God. The truth of Jesus' power and the actions of baptism should bring us to a place of great joy. We don't have to wash over and over again. But by one action, we are cleansed and welcomed in. Our spiritual baptism happens over and over again as we receive this continual cleansing from Christ of our sins and our selfishness because there is no power exterior that can face up to Jesus' power, not even us. This one moment of baptism is a moment of relief, a moment of joy, of being freed of hope, of commitment. This is the promise in baptism of more freedom, a continual remaking. The cleansing will result in a good conscience, a change in us, and we ourselves will be turned into people who look more like our Savior. By this cleansing moment, by this baptism in the power of Christ, and by the continual baptism that happens in our hearts, We are drawn into God's family as those who have been saved. And the joy of this, if we really understand it, can be contagious. The freedom that we feel sparking in the hearts of others. And even if you do not feel it in your heart right now, that does not make it less true. You have been cleansed. You have been offered a new spirit. And it is by Jesus' resurrection power that you can receive these things and renew your commitment to Christ. I want to finish our time of reflection this morning on the why of our baptism with the words that are found at the end of Jude. My father always reads this, who is a minister, for those of you who don't know, when he does a baptism at the end. And I can hear him in my mind choking up as he reads them. So hopefully I'll get through it. But Jude is reminding us that it is Christ's work of salvation through our joy in our baptism that bring this about. Not our own actions, not our righteousness, and our cleansing is not a one-time thing, but continues by God's power. It reads, Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to make you stand without blemish in the presence of God's glory with rejoicing to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, 
be glory and majesty and power and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. You've been listening to me, Pastor Kana Moore, at Hayes Christian Church. Hayes Christian Church is a non-denominational fellowship in Hayes, Kansas. We are supported by the generosity of our members, attenders, and friends. The financial support we raise goes to projects which further spread the gospel to those who do not yet know Jesus, to those local, national, and international missions, and they help keep these podcasts free. If you would like to share a monetary gift with us, please visit our website at hayeschristianchurch.org and click on the donate button. Or you may mail your gift to P.O. Box 1111, Hayes, Kansas, 67601. If you have any questions, comments, or would like more information, we would love to hear from you. Simply go to our website and click on the Contact Us form. Thank you for your generosity, and may God bless you as you seek to follow Him.